Welcome to the Endurance Evolution Podcast, episode number three. We are Endurance Evolution, Joel Gaff and Eric Houghton. We are a lifestyle and endurance lifestyle company. Um, you may know us mostly from our events that we host around the northwestern lower Michigan area, the Runaway Hen Snowshoe Scamper, the Glen Arbor Solstice Half Marathon and 5K, uh, Traverse City Trail Running Festival, Traverse City Triathlon, and the Sleeping Bear Marathon and Half Marathon. Um, we started this podcast about three, four weeks ago. Um, this is our third episode, as I just said. And, um, so far we've had, uh, uh, Heather DeRocher on a couple of weeks ago for our first episode. She writes michiganrunnergirl.com. Last week we had, um, Mark Shillette on local news anchor, Ironman triathlete and Boston qualifying raw marathoner. Um, and this week, we've got Lisa Taylor with us. Lisa Taylor was actually Mark Schlett's coach. So um, that's what our podcast is all about today. Um, Lisa talked with us a little bit about her history, how she got into running, and uh, how she got into coaching and also event directing. Lisa is kind of a, uh, a jack of all trades, if you will. She is a runner, a race director, athlete. Um, she does a little bit of everything. She's pretty, uh, pretty involved in the endurance scene. She's been uh, worn a lot of hats over the years, but I won't give away too many things. We'll at least talk about that with us here in just a few minutes. But um, great conversation with Lisa today. Um, we talked a little bit about some of the events that she organizes and um, got into uh, got to know a little bit more about what it was like to train with Mark Shillette over his marathon training, getting him to qualify for Boston. Um, sorry for those of you that missed last week's podcast. That was the spoiler right there. Mark did qualify. Um he hasn't found out yet if he gets in, but um, we'll hopefully know here soon. So Lisa Taylor, uh, coach, race director, runner, is with us this week, and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us. Here we are, week number three, episode number three of the Endurance Evolution Podcast. This week, we've got Lisa Taylor with us, who is a runner, coach, uh, race director. She wears a lot of different hats. So uh, we, uh, we welcome you to the podcast, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in, Lisa. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners, Lisa, a little bit about uh, who you are, what's your background, um, what are you all about? Wow. I know that's kind of a big question, <laughs> but... Uh, well, I think... Give us some of your history best, as a runner best, or as a, you know, who you are so people can know who you are. All right. Well, um, if we go way back in time, <laughs> back in the day... Um, <laughs> Lisa likes to pretend like she's old. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I got some questions from you all ahead to be thinking about things, but I think for me, um, I would define myself most as a, a really active person, um, sort of, uh, sporty and maybe a little bit tomboyish. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of unusual at my age running around the way I do everywhere I go. But historically, I think, um, growing up, I was just one of these kids that was super active and, um, always playing sports with the boys in the neighborhood. I could throw a football, I could hit a ball, and I had great next-door neighbors who were just huge sports fans, and there were five boys. And so growing up, I was always doing sports, and 
was really influenced by role models, women in particular, because there weren't a lot of women athletes around to use as role models. And so I had, I kind of sought out information about athletes, women athletes. And um, the earliest one I remember is Babe Diedrichsen Zaharias. Yep. Uh, a lot of wow. people will recognize that name. And she was, um, she was a, uh, an Olympic athlete who could do everything from the high jump to the, you know, the 400 meter run. And she threw the javelin as well. And she, there was a, there was like a hallmark movie on television about her. And I just became fascinated with her and read books about her. And so that was really an inspiration, I think, early on. And then I, my best friend, Tracy Wickman, in, in uh, fifth grade, her dad owned a TV store. And we would, after school, we'd go, and after school, the, the instructions were to go to the store where dad was. That was like, you know, making sure dad knew where the, where the daughter was. After, sco- after, after school, school. check-in. Right. So I'd go with her to the TV store, and I remember this one time in particular, there was track and field on TV. And it was a little story about this runner named Mary Decker. Uh-huh. It was just a little blurb. You know, this 13-year-old girl was on an international level taking on the Europeans. And it, she was a spirited, fiery uh, young lady who was kicking everybody's <laughs> rear. <laughs> and so I'm like, and she was really small. And I'm small. And I remember watching it going, okay. I think I could do this. I think I could do this running thing. So then I started doing track. My school, my that, high school. That was when you were in fifth grade yeah, when you saw that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. My school was kind of a, a trendsetter with offering track and field to young kids, kind of like Traverse City is. And they had this thing called the Can-Am Games, and it was Canada and America. And there, was, there were a couple of schools in Canada that would come to my hometown, and we would go back and forth year after year. We'd go to Canada one year. Um, our school the the next and rotate it and we'd have these these uh track and field games and That's so great. this where was at the high school level this is at the high school where, where did you go to high school lisa where'd you grow up i grew up in a little farm town <laughs> called elma down and, in you know, southern michigan central Southern michigan yeah, so you had town. people coming all the way from canada to the middle of michigan yeah it was some sort of uh, exchange that existed between some people in our town and and another town in Canada. What part in Canada was it? Was it just over the border in yeah, Ontario or something like yeah, that? Yeah, not far. I can't remember the name. So, you know, a whole bus full of Canadian kids would come to Elma for yeah. the weekend. And and then the next year, a busload of kids from Elma would go to Canada. And That's so really it was cool. a really nice exposure to the sport. It had some passionate people behind it that made it possible for the young kids. Um, so I started doing that, and and I remember doing the hurdles I don't know what got into me. I guess they look I, fun. Yeah, they, look fun. they did. They look Every, fun. Everybody wants to try them at least once when they're, uh, right. when they're doing oh, track. I, just, I loved it and thought I was really good at it, but I don't think I was. Um, but I, uh, the rest of the story is that I became involved with it early on, had some success, and then went on to run in college and had some opportunities presented to me because of my success that... Um, were really uh, awesome opportunities. And from then on, I really enjoyed everything about it. I loved the competitive aspect of it and realized that through sports, um, my personality as a, you know, I really want to do things well and, and do them right. It was a great avenue for that. 
So that's my my running story. And as an adult, I'm I'm done with the competition part and really enjoy the fitness part of it and mm-hmm. the lifestyle and. I tell the kids that I coach because I'm a coach and I'm sure we'll talk about that bet, too. That's one of our things we definitely <laughs> want to talk about you know, is your coaching. I, right. I tell them you're going to learn some skills right now that y- are going to benefit you long after you remember my name and the lifestyle of being a, a runner is, is really beneficial. And so you, you get out of college, you leave Michigan State. Was it an instantaneous switch to become a coach was that a plan all along no how did it happen no um i ran cross country and track at michigan state and my first well before my senior year the michigan state program asked me to be a coach in their summer camp after you graduated in between my junior and senior year sorry so that was my first exposure to coaching is as a student uh, working with high school kids that came in and I wasn't mature enough to recognize at that point that I liked coaching. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, after I graduated from Michigan State, my first job was at Elma College, my hometown. And my job there was, I had three titles. I was assistant athletic director. At Elma College, fresh out of college. (laughs) Right. Yourself as like, what, a 22-year-old or 23-year-old? Right. (laughs) Right. And sports information director, which is a PR job, which fit my degree in communications from Michigan State. So I got to use my PR skills, writing news releases about hometown, you know, the, the kids and sending them to their hometowns so that hometowns knew how well the Elma College kids were doing in their athletic mm-hmm. endeavors. Sure. And then my third title was assistant cross-country and track coach. And so I went from a, a senior in college to coaching college kids, which could have been a disaster really because the age difference is so close but it turned out to be just an incredible experience and the the um the students did such a great job of listening to this young person who just graduated and we had a lot of fun um, developing these kids as college athletes and then I did that for two years and then didn't coach until we moved up here to Traverse City and started coaching track at Traverse City High School, which is where I remember seeing you, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I think all three of us met. Right, yeah. At some right. point. Joel That's and right. Eric. And Even at the middle school level. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, that's crazy. So you went from being, like I just said earlier, a, a fresh out of college you know, 22, 23 year old to being an, the athletic director of a college. Assistant. assistant athletic. Yeah. Oh, assistant <laughs> athletic. And then sports information director and coach. Right. Yep. Yeah. Granted, I know Alma is not a huge school. It's not a, you know, a big 10, 45,000 person school, but it's still, it's a college. Right. You know? Well, my job was to host the football games mainly and send and do all the public relations for the, the sports, the athletic department. And the reason it was important to have a person in that job is because the football coach was the uh, was the athletic director. So, <laughs> so it he, sounds like people wore a lot of hats there. He especially needed help on game day. <laughs> so I learned a lot about football. I I really I think I'm really good at knowing a good call <laughs> or a bad call or the. <laughs> so so you really got into coaching not as a plan that no. I'm going to be a coach and this is my dream. It was this is a job. This is what I'm going to do. It happens to coincide with some of these other PR communications jobs. Exactly. And that's how it turned out. Well, and it made sense to them that I would help them 
with the cross country and track sure. program because Absolutely. of my experience as a as a college runner and it was by accident though it wasn't like i'm going to be a coach and i've got lots of great stories that i could tell you and, about and, and so what i learned well <laughs> so then then it's the early 90s when you and dave moved to traverse city correct late 80s late 80s okay yep. okay mm-hmm. and you end up in traverse city and you well, say i want to coach again no what what happened is i one day the first year we lived here in spring, we moved here in March of 88. And, and I went, I knew there was a track meet going on at the high school. And I love, I love track and field. And so I'm like, I'm going to go be a fan and see what this high school is about. And I walk up to the fence and my teammate from MSU no way. was the head coach at Traverse City at Traverse City High School. Because there was only one school then. And I knew yeah. that, and we had connected Who briefly. Who was that? Polly. Her name was Polly Prouty. It was her yeah. maiden mm-hmm. name. And so I'm standing there outside the fence, and she walks up to me, and she goes, hey, you need to coach. I'm going to get you <laughs> coaching. I'm like, okay. And that I really credit Polly to getting me involved in Traverse City coaching because um, she knew – we were teammates at MSU. She was a thrower and I was a distance runner and we had fun, fun times in college and it was a good friendship. So what's, what's Polly's uh, last name now? Polly Walker. Yes. Those of us around TC might know Polly. She's she's still teaching at central high school. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She coached, uh, she coached, I think she coached with some of my sisters who were about 10 years older than me when they went through the high school. Right. Uh, Jody and biz. Yeah. She's great, great fan, great coach. Mm -hmm. And her daughter, um, Molly, is now at MSU as a track and field athlete. Excellent. Yes. So Polly got you in. She said, hey, you're going to coach. Did you, did you jump in as a volunteer that season or did you? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> oh, I, come on. <laughs> but I coached. What was funny about it is I coached sprinters. Okay. Well, you'd yeah. had the hurdling experience as, yeah. an, as an elementary <laughs> school uh, person, so you knew what you were talking about. Yeah, so coaching sprinting, I actually – my we had great success and my trick was to just treat them like distance runners which if little over distance listeners who know the difference in there's sometimes a difference in personality between sprinters and distance athletes sure um and they worked just as hard as any distance runners that i had ever known but the workouts were just shorter and it was it was a blast and we had fun and had success and i think it was one of the last times the four by 100 meter qualified for the finals at the state championships. So it, wow. it was fun. And at some point this position as a assistant coach with a track program, and you weren't working with the cross country program at the time. Um, Cause I know I was at the high school then and you, you make a transition to becoming more involved with the distance runners and taking over the cross-country program. And when did that start? I did junior high cross-country after, I, I think in the years um, 90 and 91. Yep. Does that sound right? Yep, that sounds right. <laughs> and coached the boys and girls, and that was pretty hilarious, actually. Yes. Middle school cross-country runners are one of the funnest groups of people to be around. They're crazy um, uh, they're high hormonal and they've got lots of energy yes yes and little inhibition yes and so um that was a blast and i was like oh i like i really like coaching cross country and so 
um, the the job came open in '94 when the cross country coach resigned, and then I, this is my 20th year now since since I 20 started. 20 years. Yeah, but that first year that I coached cross country, I have to make a confession. I can't believe this because at MSU, I was my fifth runner, and we had one of the uh, to this date, I think the most successful MSU team in history. We made it to fourth in the nation. Wow. We were behind Stanford, Virginia, and North Carolina, fourth in the nation. I was a fifth runner. My first year coaching high school cross country, I wasn't exactly sure how to score a meet. <laughs> nice. Oh, See? that's, that's the first time I've admitted that to anybody. There well, now go. it's now out there. Everybody knows. Yeah. Hope, that's Fortunately, just, you've had a couple of years to redeem yourself, so now you can. Uh, <laughs> I learned quickly. Yes. Well, I think that's a good lesson for anybody who's maybe um, has the time and, and the desire to get into it to coach that you don't have to know every single thing when you start, right? Right. You have you, to be right willing to learn, and, and you can can learn a lot. I think my motto has been. As soon as I think I know everything there is to know as a coach, it's time for me to stop. That's great. Right. So how many years till that happens, right? You know, <laughs> I, I really do learn every year something new, either about human nature or um, that's the main thing you learn about is human nature. So who were the, you know, the biggest influences maybe as a coach for you who, who are the people that have been the biggest influences on, on sort of your coaching style? Because I think we all, as coaches, know that, you know, everybody's program is original, but everybody's program has pieces that they've learned and they've taken from other people's, you know, um, whether it's a coaching style or, or, or training techniques. I think as coaches and as adults, we all look back and go, oh my gosh, that person was really influential. And you don't know it at the time. Exactly. Until you look back. And I was fortunate to have not just great coaches as a really young and formative person, but, um, you know, great teachers, great family support. But actually, I think my middle school coaches had the most influence. <laughs> I had wow. a really really passionate basketball coach. I did I did basketball all the way up until my sophomore year in high school. I didn't even run cross country. And that's kind um, of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> and so just to see um I remember her name was Ms. Simmons and she was passionate about coaching. I mean, she had little 6th grade girls buying $50 shoes and coming to practice in the summertime and so that was this person would probably be flabbergasted to hear that. But <laughs> in looking back, little things like that stand out in my mind. Just other teachers and coaches with passion about what they're doing huh. were an influence to me. And I had, a great, I had a great track coach who loved what he was doing, and I had a great cross-country coach who loved what he was doing. And then my friends, my, my um, classmates, mm -hmm. and, and they were boy cross-country runners. <laughs> And track runners, they <laughs> were really my biggest supporters. And so I think all of that. And then you all have the experience of having a coach that's not so great. You learn, mm -hmm. you learn from that as well. Yeah. About it helps you see what 
what makes a good coach when you have one of those coaches who, who maybe isn't the best coach out there. Exactly. So I had that too. And um, I watch other coaches and I still try to pick from what they're doing. And um, like I said earlier, I just keep trying to learn and not tell myself that I have the perfect way to do it. Sure. That'd be bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you've coached now 20 years and you've had incredible success. I think that all of the coaches that I know in Northern Michigan are envious of your program and what you've done. Um, and give us, you know, without, you know, giving us everything, give us a, a couple of just key points, a couple of your secrets to success. That's, I don't even hesitate when I say the, the biggest trick has been to focus on the team aspect. I can't say I have any special training that I do or any special psychological games that I uh, have been able to master, but it's focusing on the team has really been key. And the the slowest girl on our team is treated just like the fastest girl mm -hmm. on our team. Yeah. And the the kids in the middle of the pack who demonstrate the qualities of being a great athlete are the ones that I respect more than anybody. I mean, I have some top runners in the history of my coaching that just if they had some of the qualities of some of the, the kids in the middle of the pack or in the back of the pack, they'd go much further than they ever did in their career. So, you know, being able to benefit from the positive energy of all the kids that are there, whether they're serious about it or not, they mm -hmm. come, I, I have a really high demand of my kids that they come every day ready to do their best. And there's just no, no tolerance for a kid that isn't going to buy into the team thing. And I've never had to tell a kid, you don't belong here. They figure it out right away. I don't like this team stuff. And I'll bet you a million bucks they go on in life and struggle with being able to contribute to whatever it is that they're a part of. So the team thing is, is the most important thing. I've definitely seen that in uh, just seeing you as a, as a coach when I was at the high school level and then when I was doing a little bit of coaching and just running with the, the runners post-collegiately. Your, your girls always looked like they were having a blast. Whenever I would see you guys off doing your stretches or, or these crazy runs you would do or the girls maybe organize it where they would dress up in all sorts of fun outfits one day of the year. And like you said, from the slowest runner to the number one runner, everybody's just a big family. They're a big, they're a big team. And uh, you can see that energy that really just kind of radiates from, from all of them while they're, while they're hanging out. And I think that's huge. I've been on teams before where, you know, we had great camaraderie and chemistry. And then other teams where it was just kind of cold and mm -hmm. it wasn't really fun and, and nothing really came from it athletically or, you know, socially. So that's really, that's great that you can do that. Well, I've wondered too, um, Eric, you mentioned we've had great success. I'll, I'll, I'll enumerate. Well, I was, I was you. just, I actually, no, it was really funny because I was just going to say a little historical context for the listeners. For seven years, I was the cross country coach at Traverse City West across town from Lisa at Traverse City Central. And uh, that was 21 cross country conference meets that I was definitely not winning. So um, <laughs> it's probably been 13 years since they've, there was one year, I think, at the very beginning when West. When in Central, we're kind of back and forth, but since then, it's it's been 
it's been a, a domination on that level. And I think at the first Big North meet just a couple of days ago, it was nine of the top ten places maybe. So um, the, the, the team aspect is definitely evident. Yeah, and I, uh, I also look at the, the ultimate goal every season is November 2nd, the state finals, and the state finals uh, stats are 19 of 20 years we've qualified. 14 of those 19 have been top 10 finishes, and 11 have been top four finishes. So that's pretty, I'm yeah. proud of that. And, and <laughs> you was should it, be proud. Was that's it 2001 amazing. that you guys won the state meet? 2008. Or yeah. 2008. Yeah. And did I, did I see somewhere that you were the first woman to win a Division One championship? That would coach? be right, yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, wow. A, that's a whole other podcast. Yes. Yes. The, the, uh, the number of women coaches for a while was spiked up there, but there, there haven't been a lot of women coaches who have had longevity and I think it's because it's it takes a lot of time sure it's demanding but but um so that that success um I sometimes wonder I started to say I sometimes wonder if I were a little more like some of the other teams I see that look really serious and you see the top seven separate from the rest of the group and, you know, they're off and they've got this stern look on their face. I sometimes wonder, well, should I do that too? But, but I think, (laughs) don't question yourself right now, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other teams that watch us and know that we're one of the top powers are like, that is the goofiest team I've ever seen because they're, they're always together the whole 50 of them and they're you know it's it's a different atmosphere and I really have noticed a difference and but always the question is if I were really die hard would would we be even more dominant than we are I don't know I think it's hard to be more dominant than you have been (laughs) because I think (laughs) when you yeah you could you know how how many state championships was it just the one that you guys won we won one okay not to say that that's only one state championship (laughs) because that's a huge deal but there's there's teams out there in the state of Michigan that, you know, for about four or five years, they're the top team. They they get a good crop of kids who really work well together, but then they kind of fade away. Yeah. But your teams have, like, they've just been kind of right up there. Maybe not at the, the peak. It's the consistency. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're right there just at that competitive level the whole time. I think that's that's almost, you know, how could you do that if you were busting their tails every day and it was just like a, it was a work, it was a job. Mm-hmm. So. Well, so Lisa, we could probably talk. I mean, you and I and Joel could talk for probably six hours about. Hey, we can make this podcast as long as we want. <laughs> all of <laughs> all of the different successes um, of your teams and and the stories. But I guess the next question is, and I ask you, so what's the key to success coaching cross country, and and track to that extent too, is this focus on team. But then you've also done coaching of individuals. Uh, whether it's a marathon and, and maybe some half marathon and, and even some 5K coaching. So how, how do you contrast that when now you're coaching one person typically on a training schedule? How, how, do, we, how do you see success if they don't have a team support? I think with individuals, the, the key is, again, kind of like the, the team coaching, it's not so much about training, it's about understanding the individual and looking at the the personal needs that the individual has um adults are are really fun to work with because 
they often have gone through some kind of experience that has made them especially motivated to reach a running goal. And if you can, as a, as a coach, have the opportunity to work with a motivated person like that one-on-one, it's a really synergistic relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the biggest trick with adults has been to get them to kind of take it easy on themselves. Because you think about an adult who wants to run a marathon, for example. You think about... For example, Mark Shalette. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you think Which about, we'll talk more about here in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So you think about the dedication and the commitment that it's going to take as an adult, maybe with a family and children and a job. If they want to do this, that motivation they have is more often than not, you have to kind of rein them in and get them to kind of relax on themselves and... trusting what they're doing is really the biggest trick as a coach is to get them to go there are a hundred programs out there you could do you have to believe in this one and really getting them to buy into that and it doesn't I mean you could you could throw a dart at a hundred training programs and the trick is that whatever dart you hit whatever program you hit you your job as a coach is to make them believe that's going to work even if it's like a crazy schedule to follow they got to buy in they got to buy in and if they do it's that's that's the trick because they'll be ready to go out and do it every day and uh, and and if they hold up to it it's it's really they're going to be able to succeed with their their goal like a marathon for example Mm -hmm. or running a certain time in a marathon it's just believing in the program so last week we had Mark Shillette on the podcast and uh, he gave a ton of shout outs to you for, for helping him finally get to his, uh, spoiler alert, qualifying for Boston time. Um, and, you know, I, I, it was probably a couple dozen times that he, he mentioned your name and, and, and really, you know, said how much it was, how much, how helpful it was to have you because he had tried for, what was it, 15, 16 marathons over 15 years and he'd never gotten it. So um, what was it like working with Mark? How, did, how do you think... Uh, what do you think was it that helped him get over that edge? Well, Mark is definitely gifted. He's a he's a gifted athlete, I, I believe. He also has spent a lot of time thinking about the psychological aspect of being able to endure. Mm-hmm. And so he had those qualities working for him, for sure. Coaching him was, it was a challenge. Uh, <laughs> How so? Well, he... And you could be honest he, here. Mark qualified already, so he won't get right, mad at yeah, you. Yeah, Mark... <laughs> I had to... I think the shift for him, because he had been trying to run a qualifying time for, about, I think, about 13 years. Yeah. And the shift for him was coming down hard on him, really, and saying, you have to trust this program. That buy-in that you just said. Yeah. Yeah, and because he wanted to do more. Yes, you mentioned that was one of the things right away, and it it triggered that thought to Mark. He said, you know, I just kept wondering, am I running fast enough? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was always a big concern. Yeah, I needed to, my my biggest description of coaching him was reining him in Mm -hmm. and working really hard, picking my brain to figure out something I could say to him to get him to trust what he was doing. So that that was intense, and, and he, it he definitely worked. mentioned that last week too. Yeah. That it was he had to hold back. He's always wanted to run faster or longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, as a coach, you're like, you just cross your fingers that an athlete is going to believe you. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 
I'm years away from the days that I used to be able to run a fast marathon, and there's a little voice that says, well, why should he believe me? You know, do I have to sit and recite my credentials <laughs> and my experience? And never did that, but, um, you know, it was a, it's a little bit of a combination of the people around him encouraging him to trust what he was doing. And so um, the other people he worked with, like the like Dina and Stephanie from... Um, Excel, they kind of, you know, we kind of put our heads together. We got to get him to, to. That to was trust. Mark's physical therapy team. If right. you didn't catch last week's yeah. podcast, <laughs> who he saw quite frequently near the end of his training block. Yeah, yeah, that and that was key. I mean, you you guys both know, and any athlete, adult athlete who's just out there doing it, who doesn't have an endorsement, and a team, a you know, a dietitian, a team massage therapist, a chiropractor, a physician. If you don't have that, um, that's a disadvantage. And he kind of had that. It was cool mm -hmm. for him that he had that, that some people watching out for him too. And I know he appreciates that. So you had to rein him in a little bit. And you said that was a challenge. Um, and he kind of had the psychological stuff. You know, you said that was kind of a challenge for him to, to really buy in maybe. Mm -hmm. What um, do you think that it was... Uh, do you think, what was the biggest factor you think that got him? The one biggest thing. I know there's a lot of factors that helped him get there, but he dropped 12 minutes off his marathon time in one year at right. the age of, what is he, 41, 42, yeah. something like that? That's huge. I well, think so what was, what, was the, what was the one of the biggest things that helped him? Um, pep talks, you know, and, and for me, I was able to communicate with him really effectively through email. He is a, he's a, I don't know if you've noticed, he's a great writer and he, he gets the whole, the email thing can be tricky for some people, but I think he has the ability to picture, picture the face of the person talking to him and sure. kind of, and kind of really think it through. So we, we had a lot of intense email interchange that was all about building up his confidence and 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 as I got to know him as a person, I was able to go, I was able to call him on things that, that he might have a challenge with. So, so you became an accountability coach on that level. Right, yeah. And it sounds like it was even not necessarily the, the number of miles he was running per week or the pace he was running, but it was the accountability and, 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 and um, not emotionally, but really getting into his head and, and making sure that, uh, that psychologically, that's what I was looking for, he, he was on track. And Somewhere I that think psychological aspect. I also think when the general population says, I'm going to run a marathon, a lot of times they'll go and download a program that they found online or maybe they read it in a magazine or maybe their friend who it worked really well for says, here, take this program, it worked for me. I think what happens with people when they do that is if they have trouble with it and it doesn't go well, instead of adjusting it they don't know what they don't know what to do with it they're like but next week i'm supposed to do this and they don't have someone there to say here's how you tweak that a little mm -hmm. bit well here's what you change and and mark made point a couple of points one was just running five days a week which he hadn't really done when i heard he hadn't done that, <laughs> yeah you knew you knew I you had knew. a good chance to be successful <laughs> I knew he was with a good gamble <laughs> <laughs> And um, and the other thing he, he mentioned was that you didn't hand him a 16-week schedule with every single workout, yeah. which is, he I think, is so, it's so uh, smart from a coaching standpoint. Right. And then he didn't have to freak out about, 
well, if this 13-miler doesn't go well this week, how am I going to do that 15-miler next week? And exactly. he doesn't because he didn't know it was a 15-miler next week. And this is the plan. Just get through this week because it's one. I mean, it's silly and it's simple to say, but it's one step at a time. It's one mile at a time. It's one day at a time. Yeah. If you don't make it through today, then... <laughs> That's hard, know. though. I mean, thinking about it's putting myself hard. in that situation... When I finally bring you on as my coach, Lisa, because it may happen, <laughs> um, I've got some marathon goals I'd like to finally achieve before I start uh, getting older. But it's hard to think, you know, I only have seven days of workouts in front of me. I mean, because there's life, in, life involved, too. Okay, yeah. In two weeks, I know yeah. I'm going to be out of town on a work trip or um, it's my you know, anniversary next week. Or So to, to, to plan around those things and am I going to have an off week next week? Or I mean, that's difficult. Oh, that, then that was the key is to be able to... Um, you know, he got sick, mm -hmm. he got injured, and if he had had a big program in front of him, I think, like most people, he would have freaked out a little bit because he would see what he wasn't doing. So he, he never knew what he wasn't doing when I was able to adjust his workout from mm -hmm. week to week. And that kind of happened by accident because I had coached um, Heather DeRocher that way. It was just a you know, I'm going to try coaching this way one week at a time. And that ended up working well for her. And so I thought, well, let's do it with him too. And as it turns out, that was probably one of the best accidental things that, that had occurred in the whole process is to take it week by week because he's a real disciplined um, – I'm not regimented, but, mm -hmm. but he's one of these people that does well following a plan. Did you give at the beginning of your coaching when you guys sat down before you started coaching and said, all right, let's do this. We're going to work together. Did you give him any kind of an idea of, okay, your longest run will be in the 20 mile range or it's going to be a build or what kind of, what kind of at least, did you give him any basic information before he started? I don't recall that. Or was it pretty <laughs> much just like, I'm going to coach you and you're going to do what I say yeah, seven I days think out? That's, that's pretty, wow. much, pretty much what it was. That's a lot of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I might have told him that I'm not a... Uh, I'm I'm more of a quality sure folk versus quantity coach and and I did tell him my opinion about the long run which there's a lot of there's a lot of different opinion about what is the long run for a marathon the the longest run you do right. in the training yeah and so um I think he was good with that and that that helped a lot but I remember when I first met with him mm. sensing that he had some hesitation about what kind of program was I going to give mm -hmm. him. So turned out very well for him. And uh, we, we talked with Mark a week ago, and he, he signed up for Boston on Monday of this week. And as far as I know, he still hasn't found out if he actually got he in because of the, 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 the process of them going through the records. But um, that's, I know he's been, he's been posting on Facebook all week. Fingers crossed. Longest week ever. It's just... Uh, yeah, he still doesn't know. He doesn't think he'll know until mid-next week. Wow. Oh, my. <laughs> that anticipation is almost as bad as actually running the race itself. <laughs> 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 well, so we talked at the very beginning. We said, Lisa, you're, you've been a successful runner. You're a successful coach. And you've also taken on race directing. You are... Are you still working with Vasa? Yes. Yes. The Vasa oh, ski race? Yes. The, the, uh, the uh, Vasa is um, a February event, and they're just getting started on all the planning with that, and it's a, it's a tradition in Traverse City. And I also um, have had the experience of, co of um, race directing the Cherry Festival, 
and that's a big local race that that really the National Cherry Festival has supported that event now for this will be coming up the forty second. Wow, absolutely. And and last winter you came out with a new event, something that I think this community needed, especially us adult runners who I would say missed out or are missing out on cross country was the Farmland 5K. And that was it's the first Saturday in December, is that correct? It's, yep, that we're going to set that that first Saturday in December hopefully will kind of be the day. Be the day. Yep. And I'll remember next year to wear my spikes and no racing flats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but how are preparations going for the second annual? Great. It's the the first annual was a hit and it's a it's a 5K event that's totally themed on the whole farm thing. And what do you mean by the whole farm thing? Well, um, there are tractors and straw bales and barns and horses and chickens, and it's really... Uh, are they allowed along the course? No, or <laughs> <laughs> no it, um, the story of, of why I, I call it the Farmland 5K is kind of a fun story. Um, the, the Tough Mudders and the, the Warrior Dash and all these events have just been great fun for people, and... What they're unique about is, um, you know, they've got the mud, the dirty thing. And I thought, well, people are really enjoying going out and doing, you know, the, the get muddy and dirty thing. And so for a long time, I had been thinking about doing my own 5K because my experience as a race director um, had been so beneficial. I'd learned so much and kind of put a list together of, wow, if I could do this all by myself, this is how I'd do it. So I had been incubating the idea and decided that um, if I use this local course, uh, Louis Rasho's land, which I could talk about maybe later, but if I use this local course and maybe called it the up and down and dirty, that people would go, oh, that's cool, you know, another race to get dirty. And well, <laughs> my 17-year-old daughter says, <laughs> that name says to uh, me, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> she says, Mom, you know what teenagers think of when they hear up and down and dirty? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, oh, I hope I didn't just take you to a new rating <laughs> yeah. on this program. That's right. <laughs> Make the right. explicit so tag. She was uh, like, yeah. she's like, and instantly it was like, okay, the name is changing. <laughs> and, and it was on farmland. It's 100% private farmland. And it's on the corridors surrounding the, the cropland of our one of our local farmers, Louis Rasho. Traverse City people will know that name. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just thought, well, it's on farmland. I'm just going to call it the Farmland 5K. It had a nice alliteration to it. And then the European, it's called Farmland 5K European Style X see challenge it's a mouthful but european european cross country is like the true origin of the sport of running and what used to happen is uh, the youngsters in a community would challenge each other to a foot race and it would go from you know the mcconaughey farm to the the Norris farm and it would be whoever could get there fastest and they would jump over stone fences. And no course, fences. just get from here to yeah. there. Go. Yeah. Just, you know, but everybody knew the fastest way roughly cause they all knew the land, but right. Yeah. So lock it in sight and off you go when the race began and whoever could get there first was over Hill and Dale was the first, uh, was the winner and the prize would be a chicken yeah. or, uh, <laughs> you know, a pig or some kind of useful, 
thing. So can you confirm that there will be a farm animal that is given out as the prize this year? I can <laughs> confirm that. Wow. All right. It might not be a living farm animal. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So um, European is the what we call it, and we're going to add some low barriers to the course this year. It's the, the pathway for the course is mowed turf grass, mm-hmm. and it's probably about four meters wide, um, five, four to five meters wide throughout most of the course, and the um, y- you can't get lost because you see this beautiful turf mode pathway before you, and so we'll stick some barriers in, and people will be able to navigate them, but it'll add little speed bumps into it for some of the faster people like Eric and Joel and... <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been fun. It was the the Farmland 5K to me being a contracted race director for um, other organizations for the last five years. I've made just a list of things that I really think would be fun, and I've been able to just do them. And as it turns out, it it was it had some appeal to the people who attended, and <coughs> I think they'll be back next this year. I hope, and and maybe some more. I had Absolutely. a blast last year. Both Eric great. and I ran it last year. Did you win it last year? Eric? No, Jacob Secor was oh, that's miles right. ahead of me. He had a, he had a fast <laughs> one. It was it was a blast. It was cold as heck. It was windy last year, most yep. of all. Though the snow was there's just a little bit of light snow, I think, in the air maybe. Yeah. Right, there was a little, a little dusting. On the ground. Yep. Yeah, and it was just windy as I'll get out, but. It was a blast running up and down the hills, and I kind of ran that race a little bit more for fun rather than going out and trying to get a fast time, and I can't wait to do it again this year, and I, I, I think I c- came up to you after the race and said, this is going to be an awesome tradition here in the TC area. Well, that's you know? great. Yeah, I think um, the the weather was classic, and, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of a focus of the event, too, is, yeah, it's December, and that's why we're having it, because if you want if you want to know what tough is... You yeah. know, you talk about the warrior dash and the tough mother. Right, right. Sure. Um, tough is running in the cold and the wind and the sleet and the rain and the snow and the ice. And I wanted to celebrate that for runners mm-hmm. to, to kind of recognize, yeah, we're doing this year round and we're loving it. And actually December and winter time can be the most beautiful time for training because on your body it's easier technically because that heat can take such a toll. Yeah when you're training out in that. And so cooler weather is actually more conducive to to feeling good. Well, there was a very interesting article just in the most recent running times about it was highlighting a team from Alaska and their successes. And the question was posed, you know, are people, you know, tougher and stronger because of the elements? Right. Does that make them that way? And of course, I think those of us from Northern Michigan have always sort of thought that you know, <laughs> well, yeah, you know we've always said that yeah that's what makes us tougher is because we have to run through these winters up here <laughs> and the beauty too is i mean if you're if you're doing running to please your senses you know this the sight the sound the smell the feel uh taste is hard unless you like Hit oh it's dirt. not it's yeah. not actually <laughs> I've, I've had that yes. <laughs> the taste of mud yeah. but um winter time you know the feeling of running on the crunch of of yeah. snow that's been plowed over time after time after time, that side of the road snow, mm-hmm. and then the bright sun and the reflection of the sun on the snowflakes and the prisms of color. Ah, it's Wintertime is a really great time to be out and doing it. That is pretty cool. Yeah, that weather last year was pretty classic. We 
we had a good amount of snow out there. This, the course was snow covered. And like Eric said, probably would have been a better idea to have spikes on rather than racing flats. <laughs> right. Maybe that's why Jacob got you at the end. No, he was in racing flats too. So that, <laughs> yeah. I tried to pull that excuse, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, so December weather, you know, we could have a year where runners are going to be traversing through a foot of snow. Wouldn't that be and, awesome? And we, we're still, we're not going to cancel it. Yeah. And Amen. I think the only reason we would cancel it is if there was, um, you know, the roads were, were awful to travel. And sure, sure people would be at risk if they decided to come out. But um, wintertime was a big thing, big reason I wanted to do it during that time of year. And it's a later start, too. Most races start at 8 or 9 in the morning. And, and But this race, what time does it noon. start? We noon. It's a noon yeah, start. Yeah, and I'm told by some people who grew up on the farm that supper is what you call the noon meal. Mm. So it's at supper time. <laughs> And then so you run this 5K, you, you, you get through the snow, you jump over the hay bales, and you make it through, you get to the finish line, and then do you go home? No. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about what happens afterward. You, um, the, I wanted to have like a hoedown kind of feel to it in, in the finish line. And so we, um, we bring in straw bales, and we set them up in a circle around fires that are burning. And the, the, you know, the big bonfires are going. We've got hot chocolate. We've got hot soup and hot chili and I've got a collection of music that's kind of country themed that's playing and we get going right away with the award ceremony and um, I'm kind of thinking in the long term that people are going to want to maybe tailgate a little bit in the mm -hmm. parking lot I think there's country song party in the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> I saw your post somewhere <laughs> on Facebook or on the on the website about have your own tailgate if you want to and I thought yeah. that's kind of a cool idea yeah so and and um so we'll see as it evolves. I'm sure the first year we were really lucky to have pretty mild weather. And there are going to be years where the wind is going to be blowing the snow sideways. And sure. we'll just ha kind of have to see what goes on then. But um, we've got just great sponsors involved um, that are back for more. And so like much of the, the Midwest and the farming and the farmland thing, you know, it makes me think of community. Oh, you know, yeah, it, you yeah, get yeah, that feeling sure. of a farm, you know, and, and I think when you think about running, I think so much about, as you talked about earlier with our teams, we talk about community and that sense of togetherness. And so instead of making it this 20 or 30 minute process of this race, it, it really was the 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 warm up was even fun and then the and then afterwards there was this sense of community which really added a i think Joel likes to use the word richness yes mm -hmm. yes a richness to the it to was the more year. than just a 3.1 mile foot race i mean so many 5k's out there there's one every weekend of the year anywhere you go and you go you run it and you leave and what do you usually do afterwards you go out to breakfast or you go do something with your friends or the people you know you hang out with so to have it there at the race it it does add richness to the event well, it's um, it's got some fun some fun team stuff that makes it nice for people to, you know, come That's together. Right. Um, there's a costume contest this year. We're adding the redneck and hick category. <laughs> um, Did you hear that, Jacob? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's the scarecrow category. There's farm animal category, and adults really like to dress up. I didn't mm -hmm. know this until <laughs> I became an adult and went to my first adult Halloween party. But adults, you know, like the zombie run, people yeah. love to dress up. And so that that ended up being kind of a, a big thing about it that was a bit of a surprise that got more people involved. 
Um, but also the uh, afterward, the the little tractor that people got, I was surprised. A little I got, finishers trinket. Yeah, we we give a, a collectible Ertl tractor at the finish line, and I was surprised at how people were like. I've got my tractor up on my shelf and I just <laughs> yeah. looked at it the other day and I thought about, wow, that's coming up again. So that was, th- a lot of the things that have happened have been a little bit spontaneous. Sure. And then they have created the platform for building building on that. So like one thing that's a big commitment to me is I'll never move anything inside. I won't use a building at all to to make it possible. We've got a school right next door and I'm not going to use that. I want to keep it outside and we've got these big pines on the property Mm -hmm. that if we can tuck under those, I was just out there the other day. I felt like a kid again, building a fort in the woods. Yeah. 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 And so that we'll be able to use that, the environment, the natural environment for shelter. And that's another fun part of it. Are you going to have at least a couple of tents out there or no tents? We'll have some tents out there. Yeah. Cause last year you had a couple of tents. And so if the weather's awful, there'll be a little bit of, of place to come yeah, and hide. Yeah, we'll John's too. We won't make people pee in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> totally inappropriate <laughs> to do, by the way. Not going to make it very Nobody European. did that last year. So, <laughs> so the event planning is going well. Coaching is going amazing. And I know that you've struggled recently or in the past few years with some injuries, but I've seen you out there running a little more recently. Uh-huh, How, yeah. How's it going? Well, so I've run enough miles to go one and a half times around the equator of the earth. In your lifetime? In my lifetime. Not right. in the last two weeks. No, yeah. no. So I started when I was 13 and started doing track and field and then love, love it. It's a big part of my life. It's like brushing my teeth, kind of. It's yeah. I miss it if I don't get to do it. <laughs> and the, so There's been days I've run and forgot to brush my teeth. Which is right. interesting. I know exactly, <laughs> exactly what you're feeling. It's interesting because some people probably wouldn't even remember that they brushed their teeth in the morning, but <laughs> and some people wouldn't remember if they didn't run or not. So that's right. unique that you use that as your comparison. <laughs> Although, you know, if, you, if runners will appreciate this and have had the, this experience before, one of my favorite days is the day when you get to the end of the day and you say, I got to get my run in. Mm-hmm. But then you realize you already did it. Have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you ever had that happen? That'll be me this yeah. afternoon because I ran this morning, which I, I'm usually an afternoon evening runner and I got up this morning and, and got out and did it. So I know tonight at about five o'clock, I'm going to be saying, man, I got to get my run in. Oh man, but nope. Bonus. <laughs> I did it. Yep. So um, um, I was a competitive high school runner and a competitive college runner and have had just a lot of injuries and running comes with being an athlete comes with being injured. Mm -hmm. It's a reality. And, and I don't feel bad saying that, but, um, some people are like, Oh, running, it's bad for your knees. It's, it's not. The science has, has proven that we have, if we can keep our bodies moving and, and and respect our bodies and, and know when to back off, you really should be able to run if you, unless you have some sort of genetic situation like osteoarthritis sure you you can keep going if you respect your body and take good care of it so as an adult i've had um you know the longer you run the less you get injured because you get smarter about what your limitations Hopefully. are right, right. yeah <laughs> that's the that's the plan in theory at least <laughs> yeah that's another podcast yeah, right joel yeah. oh goodness um so uh my running for the last the last competitive thing I did was the 2006 Boston Marathon. And from that point on, I I was just kind of like floundering with 
my running and wasn't feeling great. And uh, as I look back now, the reason is inconsistency. And in your training or in my training. Yeah, I had had some some nagging problems that, you know, oh, I'm going to rest and see what happens. And then I'd start up again. Then I'd rest. And I really think consistency is the most important aspect of being staying fit. And, you know, so when I say consistency, I mean running daily or every other day or have a pattern where the number of days you miss are limited to a certain amount and then you're out again. Sure. As a coach, I see adults struggling with that. They think they can only run a couple of times and still be fit. You can't. You have to be more consistent. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, then I had like a non-related running injury that um, made me have to not do anything for a while. And during that time period, I was able to kind of reevaluate my my life as a 51-year-old and where I wanted to be. And, and really at that period, super committed to my lifestyle behavior, my eating habits, my sleep, my, you know, general aspect of my taking care of my body. And that created a shift for me to to be able to get back into consistent training and i've realized now that being consistent again has been the trick to feeling good sure so since april i've not missed more than two days two days of running in a row and i'm back out there and that's made a big difference in the way i feel so some of the nagging problems that i had had when i was inconsistent are gone so my message is be consistent. Be consistent. If you if you want to do it, commit to um, the same kind of pattern you would if you wanted to take good care of your teeth. Yeah. And brush them every day. I can <laughs> I can I can get on with that. I'm I'm what I call a streaker. No, I don't take my clothes off and run through the quad. Right. I've I uh, yeah. <laughs> I go through streaks where I I have to run every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Now that doesn't mean I'm going out and pounding the pavement for ten miles every day. Some of my low key days I might go out and run a mile or a five minutes but just enough to keep that streak alive. And it's amazing for me personally, at least how much that keeps me going. Cause it's real easy to get into a, a, a slump where you're just unmotivated. You're busy at work. Life just gets you. And you say, I'm, I'm just going to take today off and then I'll go run tomorrow. And then that becomes two days. And then it becomes four out of the seven days. And then the next thing you know, it's a week and you haven't run, but just that keeping that streak alive for me, keeps me going and consistent, even though those, those, those five minute days aren't doing anything for me fitness wise, maybe, mm-hmm. but it's just mentally, keeping it consistent right you earlier asked me about influences in my my running life um for i meant to say one of my big influences george sheehan i don't know if you've heard that name he was this physician this running writer this running life mm -hmm. physician runner writer philosopher philosopher (laughs) big time um he's he said something i read in a book long ago that I've tucked away and that is that we are all an experiment of one. There it is. Didn't Heather say that two That's weeks ago? That's where we then we wondered where it came from. There yeah. it is. It was George Sheehan. Yeah, George Sheehan. And so with with running, you know, it's been a really fun experiment that is not over with yet. And I do intend to keep going as long as I can. And I realize I'm gonna be a weirdo being a 70 or 80 year old woman out there doing my my running but that's my goal is I want to be yeah. able to do it for as long as I can and feel good and and look good too I I've seen runners who keep running 
when they have serious <laughs> issues that make them look like an alien it of just some looks sort. Painful, and you're like, doesn't you really it? shouldn't be doing oh, that. Oh, I can totally see yeah. that. I know a couple of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. so that's that that's one of my goals too, is to be able to stay <laughs> Why was she looking at me when she said that? No, <laughs> <laughs> stay fluid and, and flexible and strong and um so yeah, I think that would be if I had a chance to try to convince people I coach of one thing, it would be to be consistent and you know set a minimum and commit to it and there's a a rule too that I coach people about it's called the eight minute rule if you have a day where you feel like I don't really want to go out at all today if you just give yourself permission to run for eight minutes so go out run eight minutes and 99 times out of 100 by the time you get to eight minutes you'll feel good and you're warmed up and your blood will be flowing you'll go i'm just gonna do my run today after all maybe i'll have to commit to the eight minute rule other than my five minute rule yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna be that guy who is who is 70 and the the not so looking good runner just to keep my streak alive i gotta keep going and i'm gonna be all crotchety and injured and it's gonna be an ugly sight well it's uh it's it's brought a lot of really great things to me in my life and you could pick you know, um, woodworking for mm-hmm. someone else, and they would have that same experience of having it bring something really good to their lives. I realize it's uh, it's just the thing I chose, and I feel very fortunate that I did choose that as an activity because it's had a positive influence on me and in people around me too. Well, that's I think that's th- even more so the effect it's had on you. It's the effect that you've then been able to, with your amazing energy and positive attitude give to you know other adults but all of the hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of, of the, kids, the kids you've, you've coached exactly impacted. what i was going to say too yeah it's really it's really awesome it's been great for this whole community well back to what you were asking what's the key to the team success thing i think also being aware of my role to teach them lifelong yeah. lifestyle yeah. habits yeah. that will benefit them that's been big and my biggest joy is seeing adults keep it up and call me or Facebook me yeah. a message saying, hey, I, I'm going to do a marathon. Will you help me? Or, hey, I did a marathon, Can, uh, and, and I'm, I wanted to share this with you. So that, yeah, that, that's a big thing, too, is to teach, teach lifestyle behavior that has running as a part of it. And they don't even know. The, the kids you coach don't know that you're teaching them life lessons as it happens. But right. down the road, they're going to go, oh, Yes, I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's an occasional kid where you feel like they don't really like being here, mm-hmm. but they're kind of going through the motions. When those kids come back and and tell me what they did, it's like, wow, yeah, that's really cool. I definitely got that from our coaches, John Lober and Don Lukens, who were just inspirations. And I'm, you know, both Eric and I are still in pretty close contact with both of them. But they they taught us a lot of you know, things about being a good person. Right. And yeah. they never said that. They never said, come to class today. It's, it's life lessons day. It was just stuff that you learned by training consistently hard, you know, getting that hard workout in when you didn't want to do it. What happens now? You got to get your work done at work. So you dig down, you get your work done and you do it because that's part of your mentality and it's part of who you are. But it's the thing, but you never realized that that was, you know, as a young person, especially that you were, uh, you were learning that skill while you were training. Yeah, and you you can't see that as a teenager, but yeah. wow, when you look back and and see how it impacts you in everyday life, that that's the fun part is when 
when people come back and say, wow, it's like I learned to cross the finish line and I learned Mm -hmm. not to let up until I got past that finish line. And I do it every day in my work and with my kids. And that's that's really cool. What else, Lisa? Anything else you want to share with us or anything we forgot to to talk about here? What are we what are we forgetting? Well, you talked about community and growing up in a farm town. Um, I love being a part of this community that we live in, which is exploding with... Here in the Traverse City, Michigan area. Right, with an interest in recreational opportunities and running events and and endurance events. And the, you know, the events that you guys are doing have such a unique touch to them that I'm, I'm really excited to see people participating in the events that you're offering. And it's just a, a really fun town to live in. I think it's it's like the the boulder of the mm-hmm. Midwest. There's a lot of cool stuff happening here now. Right. Yeah, yeah it's a lot really of fun. and I and I think as a community of runners and event directors and creators, th- there's a great synergy that's going on between everybody and we recognize that we're we're doing something for our community to to have opportunities for people to go out and have fun with being fit. Mhm. So keep up the good work in wow. Roots Evolution. <laughs> Thanks, Inspired Lisa. by people like Lisa. Exactly. We're trying. So. We learned that hard work from coaches like you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on today, Lisa. And I'm sure Joel will, will uh, bring Lisa back at some point for uh, more stories because she's got a wealth of them. I've made note of all those times where you said, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I've got some will. great people I can introduce you to that, have, mm-hmm. that are... That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again for for joining us today, and um, I know we'll see you soon, but maybe we'll have you back on the show soon, too. All right. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, Lisa. Lisa.